0: Welcome to our season of Rage Against the Machine, in which we discuss classic, rage-filled films and see how they hold up for a modern audience. Today, we're covering the feminist rage classic, Thelma and Louise. I'm your host, a man who has to admit he'd give young Brad Pitt a ride, if you know what I mean. My co-host is Guy, who once shot a man just to watch him die.
1: Allegedly.
0: Hello, Guy. Hello. Hello. <laughs> And joining us today is Sarah Rose Siskund, who once was our very first guest and is now our very first repeat guest. Hello, Sarah. <laughs>
2: Returning champion. You liked me so much, you had to have me back.
0: Well, yeah. don't tell anyone, but even though we've had a lot of guests since then, you are our favorite guest ever. Yes. And also, <laughs> us being dudes and all, <laughs> we wanted to get, shall we say, another perspective on this
2: movie. Uh, do you feel qualified so you for this task? The one <laughs> you called the <laughs> yeah. one girl you know. Exactly. <laughs> get some estrogen up in here. Yeah, I exactly. mean, actually, in some ways, I don't feel qualified because I feel like a woman who was alive during this time period would be better because <laughs> I watch this and it's like science fiction, thank God. But I do feel the emotional reality of it. So maybe like half qualified.
0: <laughs> okay. Well, we'll get into that.
2: So, Guy, do you have any background with this
0: film? I mean, you know, we, we included this in our list because it's clearly such an appropriate thing for the topic we're covering, but I don't know where you are in the film.
1: Yeah. I, uh, I saw it years and years ago. I don't know exactly when, uh, probably sometime after it, after it came out, but still decades ago. Rewatching it, there were, not a lot of things that I remembered seeing, although I'm, I am certain that I did see it way back when. But that was probably probably almost 30 years ago. So, you know, you forget things. I right. do anyway.
0: Yeah, and I had definitely seen it when it came out, although I mostly remember sort of the ending, obviously. <laughs> um, yeah. but, so, Sarah, are you, you're new to this?
2: I had—the problem is, like, it's one of those movies that's, like, so in the zeitgeist that I don't know if I'd seen it before, because I think I just watched a bunch of clips on YouTube and pieced together the mm. parts in between. So it was right. my first like real watching of it.
3: Mm. Right. And it was one
2: of those unfortunate things where like, you know, I feel like I've seen the parody of the ending like five times <laughs> over before actually watching the real ending. And anytime they're like near a cliff, spoiler alert, I'm like, <laughs> oh no. <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, first real time. So, I don't know, are there other films that kind of have tackled
0: this, or is this sort of unique? I mean, I'm, you know, I don't really have in mind
1: other films that have really sort of taken on the patriarchy. I think there was a movie called Bound that had one of the Tilly sisters in it and maybe Gina Gershon, and it was kind of a different thing, but it was kind of, you know, women against the world type Mm thing.
2: I never saw that one. I think that there's, yeah, nobody as direct as this. Like, there's Kill Bill, which is, that harnesses, though, like, the maternal power anger thing with Uma Thurman. And then there's, like, 9 to 5, which is, like, you know, working disparities, which is great. Um, And what's great about all of those films is that they, I love it when horrors and thrillers, whatever, has, like, a sense of humor in the film. Mm Mm-hmm. So there's that, Um, but there's nothing kind of, yeah, as direct as like the feminist rage of being raped, then kind Mm. of not fully justified homicide, but like partially explained homicide. And then Mm. just like feeling like you would be fucked over by the system. Uh, Like nothing is like directly about systemic injustices, I guess, with feminism as this movie.
0: So as we do on this podcast, Guy and I will now drive off in our 1966 Ford Thunderbird and discuss the movie as we tour the Grand Canyon. And then we will come back and talk about it with you, Sarah.
2: All right. Sounds good.
0: Okay. So Guy and I are now going to walk through the film. And if you'd rather just get back to our conversation with Sarah, which uh, we kind of understand, although we'd like you to stick around, there are bookmarks in this podcast, and you can just skip ahead to the rest of our conversation with Sarah. In the meantime, Guy and I are contractually obligated to talk through the film, so we hope you'll stick with us. Mm -hmm. And uh,
1: take it away, Guy. All right. Well, Thelma and Louise starts off with a shot of some hills in the distance and a dirt road leading to them. I think this is the landscape from the end of the movie. I could be wrong, but I remember thinking at the end of the movie that it looked like this shot. So I'm, going to I'm say certainly not
0: is. geographically literate, but it was definitely my impression that they were not going through landscapes in the order that you... Actually would if he took this trip, so I'm sure they were taking some narrative license.
1: Yeah, it could be. Could be. (laughs) So, the title characters, we meet Louise, who is Susan Sarandon. She's a waitress in Arkansas. We only find out that it's Arkansas later, or at least I, I only realized it later in the movie. And she calls up Thelma, who's Gina Davis. They're taking a weekend trip. Louise calls her up. And she wants to know if Thelma has asked her husband Daryl's permission to go on the trip yet. (laughs) Thelma has not. Louise says, is he your husband or your father? (laughs) I'm not going to ridicule Thelma for not yet asking permission or even for the idea of asking permission. I mean, if you're married to somebody, it's just a simple courtesy to do that. But Daryl is... The man of a particular temperament who, uh, you know, <laughs> might have a little more trouble with it than some other guys would.
0: Yeah, I've I've had some personal experience with it. <laughs> ah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: And uh, shortly we get to meet Daryl. It's in the morning before he's going to work. He has a short temper. He doesn't get physically violent that we see. But he's he's very, well, he's not a morning person, which I, I, I can understand <laughs> that. But he's just—he—he uh, he doesn't want Thelma talking, and you know, he, she's just getting on his nerves. While well, he's trying to get ready for his job, and and he—he he is an important job because he's a regional manager. He—he mm-hmm. makes a point of mentioning that, and uh, you know, <laughs> maybe it's a position of great responsibility for all I know. But uh, he seems very impressed with himself at any rate.
0: <laughs> the one thing I was thinking with this, and I think Brookback Mountain came later than this film, but both of them are about two people of the same sex going on a fishing trip. So I didn't know, you know, is this no. gonna be a Brokeback mountain sort of situation. But What's it's up? also funny because I don't unlike Brokeback Mountain, where, you know, they make a big deal out of getting some tackle things and, you know, getting their equipment and their their fishing poles and everything. I think they might have had a couple fishing poles in here at some point, but I think they make very little pretense that this is actually a fishing Trip, or you know, it doesn't oh, look like yeah. that. They never do any fishing. What's that?
1: <laughs> yeah, and, and in fact, in the early moments of the movie, uh, when when Thelma and Louise are on the phone, Thelma says she doesn't know how to fish, and Louise says, "Well, your husband does. How hard can it be?" <laughs>
0: <laughs> Daryl is sort of the official uh, target in this whole movie.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's he's not portrayed very flatteringly.
0: Yeah, funny thing I'll just mention now I edit my notes later, but is that my understanding is the actor is actually Gina Davis's ex husband and she recommended him for the role. Hmm. Which is interesting. So the so what that means and what that means about their relationship, I, I will leave it to the listener. <laughs> but yeah. you know, he did take on this role where he is then the, the you know punchline the entire movie.
1: So, yeah. Yeah. He's uh he just, he, he just comes across as pretty much a jerk throughout the whole thing. You know, I, I don't, I, off the top of my head, I can't think of any, uh, any moments where we find the, the good side of Daryl, <laughs> the lovable <laughs> Daryl.
0: Well, he allows the cops later a free reign of his, his booze. And I, I think that's a pretty ah. good, a pretty big heart, you know?
1: <laughs> okay. that That is generous. Sure. I'll, I'll give him that then. <laughs> so then we get uh we get a montage it's a uh packing montage where Thelma and Louise are both packing their uh their stuff uh to head on the, out on their trip and we see thelma uh gingerly putting uh a gun in her belongings uh, she takes it out of a drawer and i i think she may put it in her purse or what are words she's sort of it, holding she it by two it.
0: fingers, right? Yeah,
1: yeah, she's uh, she doesn't seem overly familiar with it. And Louise picks her up in an old Thunderbird, uh, and the paint job is like a metallic turquoise, uh, very nice color. I wouldn't mind uh, painting a <laughs> car that color one day. Yeah,
0: later in the movie, she called uh, Louise calls it green, and it just reminds me of um, <laughs> when I bought a, you when you buy a car there is no green, there is no gray. If you look at their color list, it's like sea mist or, you know, you know, <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: okay, you know, yeah.
1: yeah. Oh yeah, you gotta throw some nuance in there. <laughs> so once they're driving, Thelma takes that gun out and asks Louise to hold it for her. And Louise is understandably startled because she's driving and hear her buddy in the passenger seat is trying to force the gun on her
0: (laughs) and also one of the things i'll see with thelma throughout you know i love gina davis in this i think it's probably the Mm -hmm. best role that i've seen her in she never makes a good choice right she brings (laughs) a gun she hands it to louise out in the open where some cop could see them or something and cause trouble (laughs) you know. Every person that she hooks up with turns out to be a bad person. I mean, just she never yeah. makes a good choice in this movie.
1: <laughs> yeah, although she does, uh, she does find some things she's good at. But uh, that that'll be mostly in your <laughs> section. And I'm
0: the... not going to call that a good choice either. Mm-hmm. But she does. <laughs> yeah, no.
1: <laughs> but she does at least have some talents, so she's got that <laughs> going for her. Yes,
0: listeners will have to to hang on to find out what we're talking about.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So uh, they're going to stay at the the restaurant manager's uh, vacation place. Um, It turns out the story with him is he's letting everybody he knows stay there to use it because he's getting a divorce and his wife is going to take the place. So he figures, what the hell, we may may as well let the whole world use it before she gets it. (laughs)
0: Makes sense to me.
1: So Thelma reveals she's never been out of town without Daryl and that, (laughs) moreover, she didn't ask his permission this time. Uh, She just Mm -hmm. left him a note. They get out into the country and she wants to stop somewhere. She's tired of driving already or, you know, she wants to celebrate the vacation, something like that. So at sunset, they pull into the parking lot of a bar. In the bar, Thelma orders a shot of wild turkey and a Coke chaser, and uh, Louise gets a margarita with a shot of tequila. So they're once they've made the decision to stop, they're, they're really stopped. <laughs> a fella at the bar named Harlan, he sits down uninvited, uh, obviously trying to put the moves on one of them, which turns out to be, <laughs> be Thelma. The waitress makes some smart remark to him, and Harlan says, I was just being friendly. And she says, it's a good thing they're not all as friendly as you. Mm. And there's a little foreshadowing there. Mm. Uh, So Louise isn't terribly impressed with him. She blows him off. She literally blows him off with a cigarette (laughs) smoke. She blows it in his face. So he takes the hand and he he leaves the table. But he tells Selma that before she leaves, he wants to dance with her. He says it in a sort of, Charming but oily way, yeah. but uh, but she's charmed uh, because she's sitting there enjoying drinks and just enjoying her vacation. Yeah,
0: and I think, unfortunately, what we kind of very quickly understand is that even though she's a very attractive woman, she's only been with her husband. She's extremely insecure, no doubt in part because of how her husband has treated her. So any man who treats her nicely, she just goes for it. <laughs> Yeah, and this is going to have implications multiple times in this movie.
1: (laughs) No, yes. Yes, it will. So he he goes off about his business, Thelma and Louise sit at their table, drinking their drinks, talking about their men. Uh, Louise is dating a man named Jimmy. And uh, Harlan sends over another round of what they're drinking already. So, uh, I mean, wild turkey by itself. And... uh, Margarita and a shot of tequila; those are all fairly potent <laughs> by themselves. And these are these are not large ladies, you know; they don't have a lot of extra absorption power. Or, but uh, so they've got now double servings.
0: So, so for the purpose of this podcast, it sounds like you've done some scientific testing.
1: Right? Uh, yeah, yeah, I uh, I may have had a, the occasional tipple here and there. But, uh, <laughs> But yeah, they're uh, they're they're on the on the way to Tipsyville at any rate, and uh, Harlan is sent over another round to aggravate that, and finally they both get up and dance. Uh, Thelma dances with Harlan, Louise dances with some random guy who, uh, you know, we never find anything out about him except he does a little bit of dancing. <laughs> Pointedly enough, the band is playing a song about a dragnet on the interstate, <laughs> and that that too may be a bit of foreshadowing.
0: I missed that one. I'll have to go back and listen, or may may I'll put in a bit of a quote in here for us. All right. <laughs>
1: And then we uh, we get to see more dancing and, and some line dancing, which I, I don't know if it's still a big thing, but I, I seem to remember maybe it was late 80s or early 90s. That was a popular thing uh, in my neck of the woods.
0: I thought um, square dancing was the hot thing for a while, but I don't really know the difference between line dancing and square dancing. So.
1: I don't know the difference either. I can't say I've ever really done it that I can recall. <laughs> but in line dancing, maybe in line dancing you form a line, and in square dancing you form a square. But that's that's now, that'd just, be too obvious. I'm not sure. That's just a guess. <laughs> Soon enough, Louise bows out. She goes back to her margarita, and finally, she starts signaling to. Thelma, you know, tapping her watch and all that, and Thelma ignores her. So finally, she goes over to her and says, "I'm going to visit the little girl's room, and then it's time to go." And Thelma says she's ready to go, but Harlan gives her a series of twirls, uh, as dancers do, and uh, that that aggravates something in Thelma's tummy. Uh, she's she's going to have to get rid of some excess baggage. So Harlan takes her out to the parking lot. Uh, And we see that she's just just recovering after having emptied her gut. And then Harlan starts to get uh, a little unpleasant. He starts grabbing her menacingly, and uh, he says he's not going to hurt her. But when she struggles and resists, uh, he does indeed start hurting her. Mm -hmm. And it gets to the point where he starts raping her, but just as he begins, Louise has come out and caught him at it and she puts the barrel of the revolver right under his ear Mm -hmm. and that deters him louise says in the future when a woman's crying like that she isn't having any fun and i think the way she says it makes me wonder whether this is connected to what we'll find out later Mm -hmm. we'll find out later something happened to her in texas we never find out the details but it's probably Uh, This is probably related to it. This is probably contributes to why she has the nerve to pull that gun out um, and, and hold it on him. And Harlan, it turns out, maybe it's just the booze talking or maybe he's just a jerk through and through, but he doesn't know when to keep his mouth shut. Thelma and Louise are walking away and he makes a remark that causes Louise to turn back. And when she turns back, And she hasn't given up her gun. She's still got her gun. He makes a second remark. I believe it was, suck my cock. That was, uh, that's the one that earned him a hole in the forehead. (laughs) Uh, Louise just lost her temper at that one. I don't think she really expected herself to do it until he said that. And and just she's just, yeah, well,
0: I mean, he actually says, you know, I should have raped her. And then he says, suck my dick. And she shoots him this reminds me you know we see in movies all the time and tv shows this scene where someone is holding you know the weak person is holding a gun on the strong evil person Mm -hmm. and the strong person says you don't have the guts go ahead and shoot me and then (laughs) the weak person realizes that oh they really don't have the guts and they drop the gun and my right. understanding from listening to podcasts and you know interviews of cops and everything is that that's not how it works. <laughs> For many people in the world, go ahead and shoot me is the last words they ever say. <laughs>
1: so, no, I can believe yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, uh. So, yeah, that's the uh, that's the end of Harlan's career. And I here's something I didn't catch the first time I watched it, but you know I sort of scanned back through it. While Thelma is off getting the car and Harlan's sitting there slumped up against a car, either dead or almost dead, Louise whispers to him, you watch your mouth, buddy. <laughs> Which is just kind of, I don't know, it just, it struck me as uh, amusing, I guess. <laughs> it's one of those completely uh, inappropriately timed <laughs> remarks. That...
0: As we talked about with Sarah... I think this is really interesting. There's this kind of classic story type where you're going to have your great weekend or start your retirement or whatever. You have everything planned. Everything's going to be great. And then the very first thing that happens just sends it careening, right? (laughs) So Mm -hmm. this is that kind of movie. Yep.
1: Yeah. Yeah, we probably, uh, that could probably have been an alternate Theme for an assortment of movies like this is Rage Against <laughs> the Machine, but uh, you know, we we might have also had uh, vacation gone wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Thelma picks up Louise and drives out of the lot. And uh, well, as we've seen, Thelma, Thelma has had enough to drink that she emptied <laughs> her gut, yeah. So she drives out of the lot.
0: Well, that does mean most of the alcohol is probably out of her system. <laughs>
1: Well, yeah, well, whatever was in her stomach is gone at least, but the bloodstream (laughs) still has its own problems to deal with. (laughs) Plus, on top of being drunk, she's panicked now because of all that's happened, you know, being uh, raped. I mean, you know, it wasn't consummated, I guess you'd say, but still, you rape is rape, you know. And then watching Louise shoot the guy in the forehead on top of that. Uh, So, I mean, it's understandable that she's not, at peak performance in the driving, but uh, <laughs> she's driving onto a busy highway full of big rigs. So she nearly ends the movie right there. <laughs> and we hear some truck horns honking, and there's actually going to be a lot of this throughout the movie. Uh, the truck horns seem to be sort of a motif. Louise doesn't think that calling the police will be worthwhile. That's Thelma's idea. Probably part of that is based on whatever she encountered in Texas, but also. She mentions that 100 people saw them dancing all night.
0: Yeah, it's a theme as they go along that the way she interprets this whole event and her knowledge of the legal system and everything, like whatever happened to her in Texas has completely colored her perception of how they should act.
1: Mm-hmm. Louise pull over, uh, which Thelma does, and more honking trucks uh, follow that. And now it's Louise's turn to puke. Between the two of them, they've both got empty bellies now. So they stop at a diner. Thelma excuses herself to go to the bathroom. But actually what she does is she calls home to try and reach Daryl. And we see the microwave in their house as the phone rings. The microwave has a dinner in her ready for him to eat up. And there's a beer bottle uh, in front of the microwave with a note on it. But there's no Daryl. He doesn't pick up the phone. He's not, he's in the microwave. But it's
0: impressive, even though she knows she's doing something he won't approve of. She, you know, she kind of went out of her way to be nice <laughs> on the way out.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I'm thinking the beer bottle itself, though, might have been kind of a passive-aggressive move. Maybe, maybe <laughs> not. But but she left that beer there, and I think it's even opened. If he got home in a decent hour, the beer might still have been cold. Well, it's not, I'm not sure when they when they actually left for their trip, but it's possible, at least, that the beer might have been cold if he got home at a decent <laughs> hour. But she knew he wouldn't get home at a decent hour, so maybe a little passive aggressive. I don't yeah,
0: know. Yeah,
1: okay. <laughs> so we see the parking lot of the of the roadhouse, and Hal, who is played by Harvey Cartell, he's there talking to Lena, who's the waitress who uh, who served Thelma and Louise. She doesn't have a big role in this movie, aside you know, aside from the roadhouse scenes here, but she's fun because she's she's a little bit gleeful about what what's happened to Harlan. You know, she's known <laughs> Harlan has been a regular, I guess, at the at the bar and uh she hasn't been impressed with him. She doesn't give Al a whole lot of useful information. She does say regarding Harlan, she says, Has anybody asked his wife? She's the one I hope did it. she tells hal that they weren't the murdering type thelma and louise weren't the murdering type they were the people who spent the whole evening with harlan but she can't believe that they they did it and it's true enough that they're not they're not the murdering type they don't go around
0: (laughs) at least to start with (laughs)
1: yeah
0: yeah well you know this kind of reminds me of a tangential bar story. I've been now in a couple different bars, uh, you know, and I'm sure then this implies that she as a bartender would sort of have to deal with this guy, maybe kind of deflect him, et cetera. And I've been in a couple of bars where I noticed that there would be a pretty much a, clearly an autistic person who would get into very long, protracted conversations with the bartender. And this was this person's way to have sort of a social life, right? Someone they could Mm. interact with, et cetera. Now, for the bartender, they were it's sort of not consensual in that this is their job, you know, et cetera. But Mm. what I found in that case is sometimes they would, you know, they would be sort of taking the hit. Like they knew this person needed someone to talk to, and they knew that if they, the bartender, didn't interact with them and, you know, reply and respond, even though it would be kind of boring over times the conversations were always the same and and everything Mm. but they knew that if they didn't do that this person was going to start kind of annoying other people at the bar
1: Mm,
0: so they felt like it was their job to kind of absorb that and and uh, so so Mm. what it brings back to me here is i have to think she probably absorbed crap from this guy to protect other women at mm-hmm. times, but uh, I'm projecting that onto this. But that's oh sure,
1: my- yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's it's certainly uh, as a as a hypothesis. It, uh, it it sounds plausible. Yeah. So in the daytime, Louise tries calling Jimmy, her boyfriend, and she gets his answering machine. She asks Thelma how much money she has on her. This is as they're driving along in the convertible. Thelma pulls her money out. She says she has $61, <laughs> and immediately a $20 bill blows away in the wind. Uh, she says it's $41. <laughs> uh, so they took into a motel. They're both very tense. They argue a little bit, uh, get, get some high temper going. Louise suggests that Thelma put on a bikini and uh, go out to lounge by the pool, which she does. Louise gets hold of Jimmy, she says she's in trouble, asks him to wire her $6,700 that he uh, he had st- saved up, and she won't reveal what she's done, she just says that she can't undo it, and he says he'll help, you know, even though she won't tell him what she did, and it's a lot of money, you know, I, I didn't look up what $6,700 would be in 1991, -hmm. Currency, but I have to think. Given it's thirty years ago, it's probably at I would guess at least twenty twenty five thousand dollars equivalent in today's money. So, Mm -hmm. uh, and also
0: we see. I mean, as we talked about with Sarah, I mean every guy in this movie represents a certain kind of man, and Jimmy is he doesn't get much screen time, and I'm going to argue Louise kind of undervalues him. But he Mm -hmm. is one of the probably two men in this movie who is completely honorable. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Does what he needs to do, helps out, doesn't, you know, doesn't interfere.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. He, uh, he, he comes across as overall a good guy. He has a moment where he loses his temper briefly, but he doesn't get, he doesn't get violent. I think he knocks over a table or something, but he doesn't, uh. He doesn't harm Louise at all, but we'll get to that. Either. But um, Anyway, uh, yeah, he, he seems like overall like he might be a pretty good guy. Oh, and there is a third guy that we didn't get a chance to discuss. He's an old guy sitting on a bench, though, so it's not really much of a role. But I, I think he might be a good guy, too. I think this might also be the scene. I didn't put it in my notes, but I think this might be where uh, Louise asks Jimmy if uh, if he loves her. And he says, "There's like a pause, an awkward pause, kind of it." And then he says, "Yeah, yeah, uh, but but it's like you know, he's, she's kind of dragging it out of him, you know. He's mm. not like, of course I love mm. you, you know. So it's it's a little more reluctant than that, but still, he uh, he comes across overall as a stand-up guy, you know. But we'll we'll see more of him. So Louise is going to call him in an hour." Louise drives her car right up next to the pool. Uh, the The road goes right by the pool, and she picks up Thelma, still in her bikini, just has her get into the car. And they drive off towards Oklahoma City. Meanwhile, Hal talks to his chief, and the chief asks if they might be thinking of crossing the state lines and now says it's possible. So the chief suggests calling in the FBI in case they're leaving the state. So things are getting a little more complicated yeah. uh, now. Louise tells Thelma she's decided she's going to Mexico. They're go- driving to Oklahoma City to pick up the money. Then Louise is going to Mexico, and if Thelma wants to come with her, she can. At a gas station, Louise calls Jimmy, and he tells her to go to the Vagabond Motel in Oklahoma City. That's where the money will be wired. Meanwhile, inside the station, Thelma's buying a lot of airplane bottles, the little, little alcohol bottles you get on airplanes. <laughs> And the cashier, uh, helpfully suggests she might prefer to buy them in the large economy size, nice. <laughs> but but she declines. Uh, and I, I think maybe the reasoning is that uh, if you drink for little bottles, you don't have a problem. But yeah, I, I also
0: think though it's really a convenience thing, right? <laughs> if you're, mm-hmm. you know, either driving as we'll see because uh, they develop a uh, taste for drinking and driving. Or Mm -hmm. in the passenger seat, it's easier to drink a little airplane bottle than a big, big bottle. But that's just my theory, you you know. Yeah, she knows she's not going to be, like, pouring this into cups, right?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But she buys a whole bunch of those. And uh, she finally manages to reach Daryl on the telephone. And he's steamed, but it's kind of a funny scene. He's talking to her, and he's obviously very upset with her. But he's not so upset that he can't watch the football game at the same time <laughs> as he's talking to her. That's uh, I that's gotta defend him as a character. guy.
0: I mean, that's just you know. <laughs> well, that's just it was a basic video multitasking, you know.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I guess that's not, not anything unusual, but uh, but still, <laughs> you know, if if there's ever a time to focus on the telephone conversation, it's when your, your wife has gone off for a weekend without uh, telling you she was going, I would say
0: Yeah, think. you know, if you're willing <laughs> to miss the touchdown, okay.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so Thelma ends the call by telling Daryl, go fuck yourself, which uh, <laughs> probably is something that he could have used more of in the past. But uh, uh, he's hearing it now, anyway. Uh, she leaves the phone, and she's uh, she's pretty broken up about the, just everything. She walks by Brad Pitt, who uh, he's just sort of a loiterer, you know, hitchhiker. Uh, he asks if she's okay, and she brushes him off. And uh, he he's not, at least uh, not here. He's he's not the Harlan type, you know. He he's not gonna try and go where he's not welcome although harlan <laughs> harlan himself excused himself from the table uh knowing that uh he could have another chance after a little while but yeah. anyway yeah but brad pitt doesn't doesn't come across as that kind of guy at first anyway he uh he, he seems just genuinely and, uh,
0: i'm gonna say being a young brad pitt what i would say is he knows that He'll have another chance.
1: <laughs> so, <laughs> so maybe he's yeah. not that different from Harlan in that regard.
0: <laughs> well, Ooh. I'm not sure. Yeah, I don't think Harlan was yeah. quite as charming, but or <laughs> quite as the combination, shall we say, <laughs> the yeah. combination. Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah if, uh, if he didn't have a chance with Thelma, he'd have a chance with someone.
0: There's yeah. a great movie story about Mike Nichols and mm. The Graduate, Robert Redford, was up for the role. And Mike Nichols was talking to him, and he said, and at this point, you know, the woman turns him down. So do, do you have experience with being rejected? <laughs> Robert Redford literally turned to him and said, what, what are you talking about <laughs> he had no idea what he meant and i think that's kind of brad pitt (laughs) and and one of the reasons mike nichols didn't choose robert redford is like there's no way he can relate to this role (laughs)
1: yeah Yeah. (laughs) what did I, i just just within the last day or two i saw a youtube video that was pretty much the same thing uh I think it's a guy named Joel Joel Haver, Haver something like that. He makes these little mini-movies, and it's, it's an audition for a movie with a, you know, a very pretty woman auditioning for it.
2: This character, she's a bit of an outsider. She doesn't
0: really fit in with any of the cliques at school. She doesn't really feel like she belongs anywhere. And is, it, is this something you're kind of picking up on? Can you relate
3: to
2: this? No. No? Mm-mm. Like, not just a little? Um... How about this?
0: Uh, so, at the start of the movie, this girl has a huge crush on uh, this mm-hmm. guy, Jack. He, okay. He's the, the popular guy, most popular guy in school, and he doesn't give her the time of day.
3: He
2: doesn't acknowledge her at all? No. Not even just, like, a little bit?
0: No. Mm, why not? She's ugly. Uh, was that... She's, oh yeah, she's yeah. She's into yeah. weird stuff. She she reads uh this weird
1: manga, jap. Do you know manga?
3: Oh yeah, I don't know Japanese.
1: She just can't relate to it at all. But but finally, <laughs> he puts a pair of glasses on her on her and says, Oh, there you go. You're hired." <laughs> 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 okay, so she uh, she brushes off Brad Pitt, but a little later on, he sees her sitting in the convertible waiting uh, for Louise. He asks her if he could have a lift, and Thelma's cooled down a little bit now, so when Louise gets back to the car, she Thelma tries to sell her on letting him tag along, but uh, Louise is not having any of it, so Brad Pitt goes on his merry way. They drive off, and as they wait at a train crossing, uh, Louise refuses to go through Texas. They're talking about the route they're going to take while they're waiting for the train to pass. Louise just absolutely refuses to go through Texas. Though it points out that it's, uh, Texas is the only thing between Oklahoma and Mexico. And so if they <laughs> aren't going to go through Texas, they've got some detouring, uh, to deal with. But that's okay with Louise. She just does not want to go through Texas. And she won't explain why, but she does say Texas is not the place you want to get caught. So that's, there, there's various little, suggestive clues throughout the movie about, you know, what, what may have happened in Texas, but we never get a hard and fast answer. Meanwhile, Hal is using a credit card to break in to Louise's place. And this doesn't really seem to go anywhere. He he breaks in and just looks at some pictures that she has lying around. But it's not a long scene. It's, it's very brief, probably 20, 30 seconds, I think. And we get back to Thelma and Louise, and Brad Pitt has gotten ahead of them on the road. Somebody else picked him up and gave him a ride, apparently. And this time, uh, Louise relents. She decides to take him along. And then we cut back to Hal. Hal's talking to Daryl, and Daryl is uh, is flabbergasted. <laughs> Basically, all they can say is, what? What? <laughs> it's it's good little scene. I think, scene you know,
0: as the movie progresses, we'll— s- This is, we just see his reactions to things. So it's never really explained, but I feel like he's like, he has this dumb wife that he's annoyed with and, you know, et cetera. And then she goes out and starts having this fabulous, you know, exciting life. And he just, he doesn't know how to process it. (laughs) It's like, this is not (laughs) the person who he's been married to and has been annoying him and et cetera. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. She, uh, in In the scene that we saw with the two of them talking early on, yeah, you know, but when he was getting ready for work, she did not come across as any kind of firebrand. you know she was <laughs> really trying to placate him as much as possible, so yeah, this is a side of her he has not seen, so L- Louise Stamm and Louise are driving along with Brad Pitt. And uh, they see some cops approaching with their sirens or their their flashers on, uh, approaching down the road from the opposite direction. And Louise cuts off the road, and she actually drives through an oil field just to steer clear of the cops. Uh, And this this gives Brad Pitt the idea that something's up.
0: Yeah, I'm not sure he's the smartest person in the world, but, you know... (laughs) Even for him, it's like, oh, that's interesting. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, <laughs> but it it, it isn't uh, it isn't harming him in any way. So he, you know, doesn't make a big deal about it. Hal, meanwhile, found out uh, from talking to Daryl that Thelma would never shoot the gun uh, that she had. She just kept it in the drawer for years until she took it out to go on the vacation. So that's another thing that. Uh, presumably startled daryl <laughs> louise reaches the pickup point the hotel where she's supposed to have the wired money waiting and there's no wired money waiting but she hears a voice from behind her in the motel lobby and that's jimmy he's <laughs> he's actually flown out there to give her the money face to face so you know this is evidence that even if even if he is reluctant to tell her that he loves her. He still cares enough to, uh, mm-hmm. you know, do some traveling. And I mean, a plane ticket—that's not a small expense, generally. So, uh, mm-hmm. plus giving her sixty-seven hundred dollars out of his savings. So, yeah, it's uh, it's interesting that he showed up. And uh, Louise leaves the money with uh, with Thelma while she goes to talk to Jimmy. And she she makes a point of saying. Pointing out, uh, this is this money is our future. You got to guard it close, and then, uh, yeah, we we'll discuss that elsewhere. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's it's um it's it's one of the more obvious moments in the movie. I don't know for, for yeah,
0: it, I mean can... <laughs> the screenplay has her do this because they need her to do it, but it makes no sense whatsoever. Right, I have the money that's going to save our life. I'm now going to hand it over to the least reliable person in
1: my life yeah yeah Yeah, it's unfortunate (laughs) louise and jimmy they're talking in a different motel room and they have an emotional scene together um and uh jimmy loses his cool for a moment this is where he you know knocks some inanimate objects around but he doesn't come close to harming louise and very quickly he uh Cools down and shapes up, and uh, they talk like adults again. Meanwhile, <laughs> brad Pitt has has come back to Thelma's motel room. He was out in the rain, waiting for somebody else to pick him up, but he bided his time, and when Louise left, uh, he decided to strike while the iron was hot, so he gets into a room, and uh, soon enough he gets shirtless. Which, uh, you know, who knows where this could be leading, but uh, (laughs) we'll find out soon enough. He tells her about his parole. He's on parole, it turns out, or that's what he tells her. It could be true. There's, I guess, no reason to doubt him. Just something about it didn't strike me as, you know, right. It sounded more like something uh, to excite her as as the audience, you know, something. I
0: I think what we— never resolve is to what degree is he actually a bad boy and to what degree does he use being a bad boy just to get into women's pants and, you know <laughs> as yeah. you say, excite them. <laughs> yeah. But we'll see, he's at least somewhat of a bad boy.
1: <laughs> well yeah, he's uh he he's he's yeah, uh, yeah. He he's lacking in some kinds of conscience to be sure. And he tells her about his career of robbery and he goes into some detail about the stock lines that he uses when he's holding up a place, or at least gives her samples of things that he might say when he's holding up a place. Okay. Well, see, first you pick your place, right? And uh-huh. I just sit back and I watch it for a little while. Wait for that right moment to make my move, see? Uh-huh. That's, that's something you got to know up here. That shit cannot be taught.
2: Uh-huh. And
1: then, uh, oh, shit, I want to talk about that. What?
2: Well, like dear
3: all right then i'd waltz right in yep
1: then i just kind of waltz on in and i say ladies gentlemen let's see who wins the prize for keeping their cool simon says everybody down on the floor now nobody loses their head then nobody loses their head uh you sir yeah you do the honors take that cash you put in that bag right there you got an amazing story to tell your friends if not well you got a tag on your toe you decide you know, and he's, he, he portrays himself as a gentlemanly kind of robber who is friendly to people and won't hurt people as long as they're following instructions. So she's duly impressed by that, and she ends up committing adultery, uh, presumably for the first time. Uh, you know, it, it, I believe we actually hear she's never been any, with anybody mm-hmm. but Daryl mm-hmm. before. So they uh, they get it on. Meanwhile, in the diner, Jimmy gives Louise a ring, a wedding ring, an engagement ring, I guess it would be. And uh, she's uh, she's not sure what to do with it. And finally, he just, he just decides he's just going to leave it with her for now and see what happens. And she seems to know that she's not going to see him ever again. So it's a little poignant.
0: You know, they never, I mean, they present it and they never really comment on it. But one of, I think the biggest tragedies of the movie is that she has a good guy and they can be good together and she just doesn't seem interested Like it's just not important mm-hmm. to her in any way
1: yeah what one of the things I wondered about and I know this is something that people deal with in real life all the time and in knock on wood it's something I haven't been confronted with but you know presumably what happened to Louise in Texas was something something of a sexual nature that Mm -hmm. was traumatic and here she's in a relationship with a guy who presumably would like to get a piece now and then you know Mm -hmm. so i mean (laughs) i know people people deal with this in various Mm -hmm. ways and presumably jimmy and louise have dealt with it in some way but it it probably does create kind of an odd dynamic in their relationship Mm -hmm. or make it harder than it might be otherwise but but that's not that's something I am an expert on, so I'm not going to blab at length about it. <laughs> but he, he 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 comes across as as a decent guy, and uh, you know, maybe under other circumstances, it could have worked out real nice for him. Who knows? So he leaves, and then Thelma comes in. And she talks about her wild night and, uh.
0: <laughs> when you say she comes in, I mean, she's got a big smile and her hair is all messed up and she's just, <laughs> he's like, why oh, yeah, she's, up.
1: <laughs> she's really perky and bouncy and ecstatic and all that stuff. Yeah. She's, uh, I guess you would say glowing is the, is the stock <laughs> yeah. term to use. So yeah, she's, she's talking, uh. With Louise, and they're just sort of gossiping like schoolgirls for a moment, and it's a uh, it's a fun little little scene. Uh, you know, Louise says something to the effect of, "Well, you finally got laid, right?" Uh, I don't remember the exact <laughs> phrase, but
0: yeah, someone's like, "It's the first time it wasn't disgusting." <laughs> 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 great, uh, great indicator for her husband there. <laughs> yeah,
1: <laughs> and then it comes out. That Brad Pitt is showering up in the room, and it as soon as that comes out, almost instantly Louise makes a few mental connections, right? We'll which is the money is in, in there the with the $6,700. <laughs> yep, she freaks out, she dashes out of the diner, does a little, literal uh, dine and dash in this case, and uh, well. I guess it's your turn to see what happens. Next. <laughs> well,
0: we're, we're halfway through the movie.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay, so Thelma and Louise run into Thelma's room <laughs> and surprise, JD is gone and the cash is gone. That <laughs> he just left yeah. the envelope. Now, if I were him, I would have taken the envelope, but he left <laughs> the envelope, it's empty. And Thelma is very upset at herself. And she says, I've never been lucky. Not one time. (laughs) You know, I'm not sure about that. I mean, she was kind of lucky in one sense. She had to pay a cost for it, but she got something for this, you know? Yeah. And Louise really starts to break down. And Thelma says to her, Louise, it's okay. (laughs) Again, this is one of those, you know, adult versus not, because Louise is like, no, it's not okay. <laughs> None of this is okay. What are we going to do for money? How are we going to get gas? <laughs> you know, it's not okay because, you know, she's looking at the practicalities where Thelma is always kind of off in her own place. Mm-hmm. But to her credit, while Louise is sort of melting down, Thelma takes control. And she orders Louise to get her stuff together because they're hitting the road.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: And meanwhile we see a very large number of cars pulling up to Thelma's house and in huge pouring rain, (laughs) there's this weird theme in the show. Every time we see Thelma's house, the rain is just massive. (laughs) I don't know if they live in the tropics or what, but it's just, you know, clearly, uh, Ridley Scott wanted this, this rain theme around her house. But also it's weird Mm -hmm. to me because, you know, look at this point in the movie, two women shot a guy in a parking lot. I mean, To be honest, and especially this being America, where we have guns and we have gun violence, this is not the biggest deal in the world. And it's obvious to them Mm -hmm. that something kind of untoward probably happened. So, you know, even the cops involved don't really think the women probably did anything wrong. Mm -hmm. And yet we have half a dozen cars pulling up to this person's house and, you know, 10, 12 cops getting out. And it turns out that Hal, Harvey Keitel, has gotten the state police involved. It's not clear. Between FBI and state police, but um, the main person representing the higher level of police is Stephen Doblowski, who Identifies himself from the Arkansas State Police. So even though theoretically they are dealing with front state stuff, we never actually see an FBI agent that we know of.
1: Yeah, you know, I, it it didn't register with me really when I was watching the movie, but it, that does that does uh, seem like they're really putting a lot of resources into this case uh, more than what might be called for. I mean, they've got a whole motorcade going to the house. There. Yep. <laughs> yep. Yeah.
0: So Hal Harvey Keitel represents kind of the local police in Arkansas, and Tobolowski represents a level higher than him. So he's in charge. Mm. But as we'll see as it goes along, you know, Hal has a real uh, sense of what's going on. And Tawbalowski always wants to do the wrong thing, right? So we always, yeah. The guy who understands what's the right thing and the guy who always wants to do the wrong thing—that's important in all of our movies, right? Yeah. So Daryl, Thelma's husband, lets them in, and they t- tap his phone, and they're going to have someone there constantly until he gets a call. As it turns out, they're all going to be there all the time until he gets a call, which is
1: again very weird. Yeah, it's just but, like a big man cave.
0: Yes, well you know as i mentioned one of the nice things is one of the cops you know wants to know if he can have some of daryl's booze and daryl's like that's what it's there for you know he's totally happy to let (laughs) let other dudes you know drink his alcohol so i think that's commendable i on the other hand would be like no that's mine (laughs) so hal says you know we gotta have an uncomfortable conversation are Mm -hmm. you close to your wife (laughs) and they have a little bit of back and forth and then i love this finally daryl says and remembering that he is actually Gina Davis's ex husband, he says, I'm about as close as I can be to a nutcase like that.
3: <laughs>
0: <laughs> and they crack up. And then Tobolowski says, and, and this is great. And, and I'm going to, you know, I think he has an ad lib in here. So I'm going to play the quote after I talk about mm. this so people can okay, make up their yeah. own mind. He says, uh, Yeah, well, if she calls, just be gentle. You know, like, you're really happy to hear from her. Like, you really miss her. Women
1: love that shit.
0: (laughs) And I think that last part was an ad-lib because Daryl cracks up and repeats the line. (laughs) <laughs> and off screen, you hear Tabulowski saying, "Out of character." I'm sorry. It's just, and then we switch to something else. So I don't know why they chose to keep in his out of character part, but if you're really paying attention, yeah. it's clear that that was just not an intended line.
1: <laughs> yeah, it. I mean, it, it didn't occur to me that that was an ad lib, but, but I mean, it, it is definitely a an abrupt change in gears. You know, because because he's he's this sort of Overall, he comes across as a kind of bland character. Uh, and then he just throws that in out of nowhere. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> yeah. So I could I could very well see that being an ad lib, yeah. Or if it wasn't, it was a good piece of writing.
0: <laughs> yep. So now, you know, we switch back uh, to the car. Thelma's driving. You know, they the Thelma and Louise trade off driving all the time. That's actually kind of a nice thing about the movie, they're kind of realistic about. You know, you can't go across the entire country with just one person driving. Yeah, And she stops near a grocery store, asks Louise if she wants anything. Louise is clearly depressed and not interested in anything. Thelma forces her cigarette on her and then disappears into the store. And kind of a weird thing here, because at the very beginning of the movie, we saw Louise smoking, you know, in a restaurant in the kitchen. So it's not like Mm -hmm. she has a problem with smoking, but she seems to be trying to resist it. And eventually Mm -hmm. she gives in and smokes a cigarette. And then she sees these two old women in a window looking at her, and she stares at them for a long time, and it's clear she's sort of seeing her future in some sense. Mm. And yeah. it's not something she seems happy with, you know, because she immediately gets out her lipstick and looks in the car mirror to, to apply the lipstick and kind of touch herself up be a little more nice-looking. But then she just sees what she looks like, you know, they've been on the road now, they've done all this, and she just throws the lipstick away, like it's useless, you know. Mm. I thought this was just an interesting little moment. You can take from it whatever you want, but there's a lot going on there. Oh yeah. And then Thelma runs out of the store and <laughs> she yells at Louise to drive. <laughs>
1: This is another th- moment where I kind of saw it coming, you know. And, and, and it may be because a long time ago I had seen the movie, but really I hardly remembered anything uh, about it rewatching it. But this, when they stopped here uh, after Brad Pitt had given his accounting of his own criminal career, yeah. uh, when they stopped here, I just thought, "Oh, okay, I bet, I bet she's gonna."
0: <laughs> and there's also an interesting question here, which is. Louise never seemed to think that Thelma stopped and went into the store, but they have no cash. Like literally all of their money was stolen. Right. And so she doesn't quite think through why is Thelma stopping at a store?
1: <laughs> yeah. Although presumably they might each have had a little bit of money on them. Yeah. You know, at least Thelma's $41 maybe. <laughs>
0: <laughs> So as they're driving off, Louise asks what happened, and Thelma shows her a wad of cash. (laughs) And Louise says, you robbed the store? And Thelma says, in, you know, classic bank robber style, well, we needed the money. (laughs) And we have a very nice transition here, because Louise asks Thelma what she said to rob them. And Thelma says, well, I said. And then we switch to security camera coverage of her robbing the store. And it turns out that the cops and Daryl are watching this security camera video of her robbing the store. And she is repeating Mm -hmm. every single thing that J.D., you know, Brad Pitt, said to her about how he robbed places. You know, if you don't lose your head, you won't lose your head, Uh, et cetera.
1: Yeah, she she may not be the sharpest tool in the shed, but she's got a hell of a memory. I mean, (laughs) she— She got it right down.
0: And people go (laughs) along with her and she gets her stuff. And then at the last minute, she asks them for a bunch of the little uh, turkey, wild turkey (laughs) bottles. (laughs) She's inconsistent (laughs) about that. And then, you know, we know now that's when she ran back and jumped in the car and they drove off. And they're driving along. And Thelma wonders that they should be driving during the day, given that they're now being looked for. And Louise says, no, but she wants to put distance between them and the scene of our last goddamn crime. <laughs> and they both crack up.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: So they kind of realize, okay, they're criminals now. There's no getting away from it. But, you know, because previously only Louise had committed a crime, right? She had shot mm-hmm. the guy. Whether she'd be found guilty of that or not, she was the one who shot him. But now they both committed a crime. <laughs> As they're driving along, we now get the beginning of what I call the truck driver saga. <laughs> A semi truck is ahead of them. And he waves through his window, letting them know it's safe for them to pass. You know, there's no cars ahead that they need to worry about. And Thelma, with her usual perceptiveness, <laughs> says, isn't he nice? Truck drivers are always the nicest drivers on the road. And as they pass or starting to pass the truck, they notice the classic naked lady mud flaps on the truck. Now that's so classic. I, you know, I wouldn't hold it against the driver, but they do they yeah, kind of make a comment about a it. It's a
1: classic for a reason.
0: <laughs> yeah. And then, you know, but not content to leave well enough alone. The trunk driver honks at them as they come alongside. And then he does a rather rude tongue maneuver.
1: <laughs> at them. Yeah. Yeah. It was a little lick in the ice cream cone thing.
0: (laughs) (laughs) They're not impressed. (laughs) So they race along ahead of him, and they get to some godforsaken gas station in the middle of nowhere. Kind of interesting how this is handled, because there's this really old guy with a big beard sitting on a bench. I think you referred to him earlier. And with no dialogue whatsoever, Louise... Takes off all her jewelry, and she uses a, a wrench or something to take off her earrings, and she gives them to the owner, presumably for gas. She just hands it to him, and he well, looks I, at
1: her. I don't know. I I think she might have been buying that white cowboy hat. I'm not mm, certain. That's true because she, she does because they'd got. have money from the from the holdup for gas. That's true. But I'm not 100 percent sure.
0: Well, but I think you know. The reality of this is she's taking off all of her jewelry and giving it away. She's shedding the mm-hmm. last sort of parts of civilization, right? And pretty Civilization
1: and feminization, yeah, yes. the prettying up stuff, yeah.
0: Yeah, that's a good way to say it, feminization. So, so, yeah, this is the last time that she's got any of that. And from here on out, she's a hard-bitten criminal. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: So then we switch to J.D., uh, you know, Brad Pitt, being brought into the police station. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And Hal, you know, Harvey Cartel being, as we taught you know, as I, and I mentioned this with Sarah, you know, we usually have these movies where we have a scientist who understands exactly what's happening with everything. Like in King Kong, you know, we had the scientist who understood exactly what King Kong was doing and all his motivations. Well, here we have Hal who understands exactly what the women are doing and all their motivations. And he's trying to mm-hmm. save them. And he points out to J.D. that until J.D. stole their money, the women had a chance because, you know, yeah, they'd shot a guy, but there might be a good reason for that, right? They might be able to get off on that. But after J.D. stole their money, they were out of money and they ended up robbing a store. And once they robbed the store, it was armed robbery. And now they're in serious trouble. Yeah. So he blames J.D. for this, for putting them into that situation. Yeah. And he wants everything J.D. knows so that he has some chance to help the women. And <laughs> J.D. gives him a lot of crap, and he kind of takes off his hat and smacks him around. You know, but eventually, I mean, J.D. also is not really a bad guy. So, you know, he eventually, as we find out, kind of gives up what he knows.
1: Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know that I ever reached a, a firm verdict on J.D. I mean, uh, he, uh, I, I think uh, he, he probably just doesn't. Just doesn't think a lot about what other people, you know, about the consequences of what he does or, or care much about it. So, yeah, probably is kind of a bad guy.
0: <laughs> yeah, I guess maybe I take it more significantly that he's able to give someone a good lay. <laughs>
1: you know, for maybe that gives anyway, you a lot of I leeway. <laughs>
3: <laughs> maybe.
0: So, meanwhile... It's at night, and they pull up some town, and Louise has Thelma call her husband. And this is really funny, because Louise wants to know if the cops and everything have figured stuff out. So she wants to know if they've tapped her, you know, Daryl's phone. So she tells Thelma, if Daryl does anything unusual, hang up immediately. (laughs) (laughs) And so Thelma calls him, and Daryl, you know, picks up the phone. The cops are all around him, et cetera, right? and they've tapped the phone. And Daryl with exaggerated excitedness says, Thelma, hello. <laughs> she, she immediately hangs up and said, He knows.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he uh he gave that away. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, and you guys would just imagine this would normally be the guy sitting there drinking beer, watching the football thing, going, Oh yeah, okay, whatever. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, you'd expect him to pick it up and say, What? <laughs> Something like that.
0: So Louise then calls back and asks Daryl to talk to the police. And he's like, I don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) Get me to the police. So finally, Hal takes the phone, introduces himself. And he then tells her he doesn't think they can make it all the way to Mexico. And this really upsets Louise because it turns out Thelma told JD they were going to Mexico
1: Yeah,
0: specifically, she said, you know, if you ever get to Mexico, hook up with us (laughs) and Thelma's like, well, he promised he wouldn't tell anybody, et cetera, et cetera. So once again, Thelma has kind of messed things up. I mean, we love her. She's, she's pretty, she's, you know, delightful, you know, she's open to experience, but she has absolutely no judgment. (laughs) She kind of messes everything up in the movie. So they then have a really, you know, we've had a couple of different montages in the movie. And and unlike most movies, I'll say, I think the montages serve the movie. You know, they're not just a waste Mm -hmm. of time. Like, I remember, you know, every movie in the 80s that Robin Williams was in, they would have a montage where he was, like, changing costumes and doing, you know, uh, rap, you know, stuff and all this. And it was just like, oh, God, you know, when we get to the end of this? (laughs) where, at least for me as an adult. But all the montages in this movie, I think, kind of serve the movie. And in Mm -hmm. this case, they're driving through the night because obviously they need to get as far as they can and don't want to wait till the day. And I think they're in Wyoming. I'm I'm geographically illiterate, but...
1: I'm thinking Wyoming's way too far north. Yeah. Uh, Well, where do you have all of
0: those rock formations? It might be Utah.
1: Yeah, Utah makes sense. Let me look up a... uh, uh, I we can figure this out and per, rapidly <laughs> enough. Huh? Let's see. Just got to zoom out. So if they can't go to Texas, they're probably in New Mexico.
0: Mm. So you have those brilliant John, um, what's the director, um, stage coach.
1: F- John Ford
0: yeah you have these brilliant John Ford rock formations in the background right they're driving through whichever state that right. is <laughs> and, and <laughs> it's really beautiful, and they're switching who's driving, and more and more they're both starting to uh drink while they drive <laughs> sort of part of the weird you know Louise loosening up thing is that she starts uh adopting Thelmas thing of drinking all the time and eventually toward morning, they encounter that truck driver again and He gets even more cartoonish with lewd sort of masturbatory gestures and his tongue and he's yelling jokes at them and they do their best to ignore him. And then a little while later, Thelma confronts Louise saying she must have been raped in Texas. Like that's just what had to have happened. And Louise refuses to talk about it. She gets very upset and just, she is not going to talk about whatever happened in Texas. So we never, we never know. And now we start what I call the cop saga. So it's sort of the morning mm-hmm. and this very butch cop pulls them over and he's, it's kind of funny, it's, you know, they're in the middle of nowhere, et cetera, but he's very image conscious. So before he gets out of the car, he carefully puts on his hat and adjusts it and his glasses so that he'll have the right look. It's kind of like a Terminator 2 you know, cop look <laughs> and he comes up to the car and the thing is, he's run the plate, so he knows what's going on. And he tells Louise to get out of the car, and he puts her in his car. Now, here's a really weird thing. I've never, ever seen this, and I, I think they probably did this for visual purposes, but it's incorrect. She, He puts her in the front seat of the car. You never put the criminal or the person you're arresting in the front seat. They always go in the back seat. You,
1: you know? know, if it was a traffic violation, like if, if he didn't know yet, I mean— he, I'm not sure that he knew yet that she was who she was.
0: No, he Um, tells her, you're a bad person, I know who you are, I know what you've done. I mean, he's very specific about it.
1: Well, he says, I I remember, yeah, you could be right. I remember him saying she was a bad person, but I thought he was talking about the speeding because she was going like 110 miles an hour.
0: I'm going to say he knew. And I I think they just put her in the front seat because it just made various shots work better, you know. But he's about to call in the fact that he has this criminal who's murdered somebody. And then Thelma shows up at the window and puts a gun to his head. Now, here's another thing. And, you know, again, as someone who's kind of obsessed with police procedure in these cases, when you have what you know are dangerous criminals, you would not put yourself in a situation where one of them is in the front seat of your car and the other one you don't have control over during the other thing. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's just, you know, the very first thing A single person and a cop car would do is they would call in support before they even hmm. got out of their car, right? So either, as you're saying, he hadn't seen all this, which I just, I, I don't think that's the case because I think he shows here he knows what's going on, or he's a bad cop, or the movie script just wanted to make things work, right? So.
3: Hmm.
1: See, I, I I got the impression that he didn't know who they were beyond the fact that he had clocked him going 110 Eight. miles an hour, but... I yeah, it, I I can't prove that. So <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'll leave our that listeners as, uh... will
0: have to decide. <laughs> right. So, Thelma puts a gun to his head, has him get out of the car. She politely shoots a couple of air holes in the trunk, <laughs> and then they put him in the, <laughs> the trunk. As we debated with Sarah, I mean, good chance he would have died in any case here, but at least they tried to give him some breathing holes. Yeah. Uh, as they're putting him in the trunk, Louise trades her sunglasses for his. So that's kind of funny, mm. and. We also had this thing where he started out as this very butch guy in control because, you know, he's the cop and he's got the gun. And as soon as they turn the tables, he turns into a total wuss, you know, <laughs> begging and yeah. cleaning. And yeah. You know.
1: This, it, it, I mean, yeah, it, it certainly could happen, although that struck me as maybe a little bit too much of a, you know, a authorial wish fulfillment type thing. Yeah. But uh, yeah, whatever. It's, it could happen. So sure. Yeah.
0: <laughs> well, I think in a very good movie, we have a couple of these things that don't necessarily quite ring true. And once they get back on the road and <laughs> they leave the, the car on the side of the road the, with the cop lights still going and everything, Thelma's musing back on the shooting and she points out that because she danced with the guy that they'd shot, she'd have been blamed. She says she feels better off now because even though they're being pursued, at least now she's having fun. And her only regret is she wished she'd shot the guy. So she, we're we're <laughs> going into this mode here where they're sort of transitioning to the final stage of the movie, right? You know, what yeah. kind of people are they? What is their role, et cetera? And and more and more, they're coming to just accept what they've done and what's going to happen to them.
1: Yeah, and somewhere I don't know if it's right here or further on down, but but there is a point where Thumb is going to mention that. She's actually finding something that she's good at. Yeah, you know, she's she's talented, or she has a knack for it. I don't remember exactly how she puts it, but uh.
0: mm-hmm. so we get one more call from Louise to Hal, and I think this is really kind of a movie thing. Like they want them to have a little bit of more relationship with him before the end of the movie, mm-hmm. and he's pleading with her to come in and explain what happened. But she refuses, and Hal says, well, since you're not going to come in, we're going to have to charge you with murder. And Louise says, you know, I keep thinking about phrases like incarceration and cavity search and, you know, things like this, and I, I can't deal with it. Basically, she's reached the end of her rope. I mean, she real honestly, at this point, she realizes they're not going to escape, but she also realizes she can't deal with the alternative. Yeah. She hangs up and goes outside. And funny thing here is that Thelma is thinking maybe Louise is making a deal with the cops. Maybe Louise is going to give in. And she really doesn't want that to be the case. And and this gets into what I was talking about. Thelma says and puts, you know, really a point on it. Something's crossed over in me and I can't go back. I just couldn't live that way. Which is foreshadowing. (laughs) If you can't live that way, (laughs) what's going to (laughs) happen? Yeah. Yep. So, and, and also note, I mean, we've talked about it a little bit, but not explicitly. As we've gone through, they start out in sort of full makeup and sort of, store, you know, typical makeup that women would have. And if they're going to go on a nice weekend mm-hmm. and everything. And as the movie has continued, the makeup has obviously sort of disintegrated and they have more and more natural faces and then dirty faces and, you know, et cetera. So that's mm-hmm. been part of the whole process here. Yeah. And so now that they've kind of implicitly decided their fate, <laughs> they're driving along and they encounter the truck driver one more time <laughs> mm. and they learn to a parking lot. Like for some reason, like this guy is the biggest idiot in the world because he's like, oh, you're finally ready. And we're like, oh yeah, we're ready. <laughs> so somehow <laughs> that his tongue motions and masturbating motions and jokes and everything have gotten these women really hot and they're ready to go <laughs> So they all pull over to some parking lot somewhere. And then Louise pulls out a gun and tells him to apologize. And to some degree, to his credit, he refuses to apologize. (laughs) Right. Well, calling (laughs) the names and acting like a sound. So
1: standing his ground.
0: Yeah. Unlike that cop, he's going to be who he is. He's not going to turn into a wuss. (laughs) So I guess there's some credit to that. (laughs)
1: <laughs> this is a similar situation, uh, to Harlan though. I mean, he, uh, he could have just yep. kept his mouth shut and, and lived to see another day, but he, he didn't. <laughs> yep. So this guy doesn't know what, the, you know, he could be in the very same situation. I mean, they've got a gun, obviously. So <laughs> <laughs>
0: Right. So then Louise does something very impressive. See, <laughs> from a hundred plus feet away, she blows out his tires she has a pistol. <laughs> that's all. That's basically impossible. But let's ignore that. Pretty amazing aim. And then Selma brings out a gun and shoots his tank, and it blows up. And you know, there's a gas tank. I'm going to tell you that the metal on a gas tank is going to be able to handle a bullet from 100 plus feet away. Otherwise, gas tanks would blow up all the time. But anyway, it works yeah, for the movie. Probably, yeah. Yeah, it works for the movie. So they blow up the gas tank, and he's really pissed off and jumping around. And they drive off. (laughs) And then we get the really humorous conclusion of the cop saga, which is this weed-smoking Jamaican guy riding a bicycle. Is riding along, and he stops near the cop car, and he's blowing his weed, you know. And then he hears some knocking from the trunk, (laughs) and he's really confused. And there's these two air holes that they had shot into the trunk. And so then he goes over and he blows his, you know, weed infused breath into the air holes. <laughs> we never find out if the cop got out, but at least hopefully his last, uh, last few minutes were more enjoyable if not. <laughs> and then we have this whole process where basically it's all over, you know, at this point. So we have both cop cars and helicopters coming after them. Hal is against all this. He says it's just going to escalate things, you know, and again, it's all really just two women. They've done a couple things, you know, but it's just blown up and he's not in charge at this point. Cause you know, we have these higher level, either state or FBR or whatever. Mm-hmm. So Hal and Tobolowsky get out of a helicopter and Thelma and Luis are there in the car. And Hal is, you know, begging Tobolowsky to tr- stop all this, but he won't do it. And Thelma and Luis look at the canyon in front of them. And they make a decision and they
1: kiss. I think it's Thelma who actually urges them on or, you know, makes the final, uh, you know, tells, Mm -hmm. tells Louise to go ahead and do it. Uh, and Louise, I think asks her if she's sure. But, uh, so Thelma, Thelma is the one who really makes the formal request. But, uh, you know, I think by now they've both kind of agreed or both decided that that's what's going to happen
0: anyway. Yeah. So as I say, they they kiss for a moment, they hold hands, you know, and Luis floors it, Hal runs after them, raising his hand into the air, and our last shot is their car in the air over the canyon, and we fade to white, (laughs) then we get some uh, shots of previous scenes in the movie. Yep. I think that, especially first time people saw this movie, it's a pretty shocking ending because that's it. You know, they decided to do this oh, yeah. thing. Yeah,
1: that was a, it was a lovely car. It deserved better.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know, but there might have been other things. <laughs> <Don't worry laughs> <about you. laughs> I guess that's an interesting question. Are you worried about the car or are you worried about the women? <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, with that, we will return to our discussion with Sarah. Very good so well sarah when you're busy fighting the patriarchy it's like no time has passed at all
2: <laughs> wow yeah look at that <laughs> it's almost as if there was just a two second pause while you said we we we're pretending we watched the film just now <laughs> Well, you know, well, like you were saying, I mean, we kind of have this plot
0: line where one of the women gets almost raped up front. And then we get this kind of vague background where, you know, the other one had something happen while she was in Texas. We don't know exactly. I don't think we're ever told what that
1: was. I mean,
2: I think we know. Mm. She was just, she was raped, essentially, I think is the strong implication.
1: Yeah, we we get the broad idea, but we we never find out any of the details.
2: Yeah, yeah maybe somebody skimped out on the bill in Texas, and she's just really upset about it throughout <laughs> the whole film.
3: <laughs>
0: so they
2: these uh, two
0: women are going to go out on on you know for a weekend on their own, which they don't usually get to do. You kind of get the impression it's like the only time of their life they've gotten a weekend yeah. on their own. And one of the things that is kind of weird to me is that Gina Davis's character has only been with her husband in her life, but she is really, really throughout the movie really open to a lot of people, so it's a little hard to imagine how she got this far along and and only was with one person
2: well, that's why he doesn't want to let her out of the house, you know like it's
3: <laughs> she's
2: she has to like literally escape, and I think, yeah, their marriage is hanging on by a thread. Would, of just like him um, semi-imprisoning her uh, because, right. yeah, she's she's kind of a freak in a dead way.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And it, It's
0: really interesting to me because we have this, uh, and there are a couple of movies that do this, this idea of, oh, we're going to go out and have this life, and then in the very beginning, something goes wrong. So there's a movie, Lost in America, where the husband and wife retire from their jobs and they have a bunch of money because they're working like in finance. And they're going to go and tour the country. And the very first thing that happens is his wife loses all their money in a casino. (laughs) And then they're screwed for the rest of the movie. So in this one, they're going to go out and have this. Women
2: and money. (laughs) Exactly.
0: (laughs) 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 Yeah. And and that has uh, the great bit where Albert Brooks, who's the husband and who, who wrote the movie, Goes to the head of the casino and says, you know, you could be the casino that cares. You could pay us back the money. (laughs) 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 Um, So in this case, they're starting out their weekend and they end up, you know, going to a bar and Susan Sarandon has to shoot the guy who's trying to rape Gina Davis. And so immediately everything goes off the rails. right?
2: Yeah. So like at that part, the reason, like. When I was watching it, this was like the first turn where I was like, okay, this is a well-written movie because mm. the Harlan character is not that cartoonish. So like in the vast majority mm. of films where there's a rape scene, two things bother me. Number one, the rapist mm. is like a cartoon rapist, like a sort of like snidely whiplash, you know, like, you know, <laughs> handlebar <laughs> mustache. And Portland, like yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then also there's clearly... A certain amount of like how do you do a rape scene without it being like kind of sexual you know like how do you do it Mm -hmm. in a way that conveys the empathy with her rather than like with him especially because like you know this is a movie so there's like everyone knows it's actually safe on certain level so like a lot of people could like enjoy it sexually and you know as a filmmaker you're trying to get more empathy with the victim What was great about this scene was two things. One, Harlan is actually, like, fairly charismatic to start with, I Mm -hmm. thought.
3: Mm -hmm.
2: And partly because Louise has so much stranger danger, she's being such a dick to him that I almost feel bad for him. (laughs) And kind of like, um, wow, he's really holding back by not, you know, kind of saying fuck you to her and being nice to Thelma. But then it takes a turn and he does at the very end become a little bit cartoonish. Hmm. in that climactic scene where she shoots him she says apologize and then he says i believe suck my dick it was like Mm. i think that's a either from him or maybe shakespeare either one and i wish frankly that he, They didn't write that. I wish that he had simply refused to apologize because mm. I think if you actually had a gun on you and even if you were the world's worst rapist, you like you wouldn't say suck my dick. And it's also not needed to explain mm. like why she would shoot him. And it's the one point I found in my subjective opinion where he starts to become a little bit of a cartoon villain. But for the most part, I found that to be a lot like the creepy guys I've encountered where mm. it's like, they're kind of nice. They're just a little bit too forceful. And, you know, then it just kind of like turns if you're, you know, unluckier in that situation. So I actually really liked that and that it wasn't too sexy. So I thought it was like, okay, shit, this is a, this is a well-written movie.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: The scene is, is good in uh, making you really, I mean, all along, even though he is, kind of uh charismatic as you said uh you know he also has this little little sort of sleazy vibe to him you know and and when when they're in the parking lot then you see that really uh going to the overdrive when he he says you know he starts off by saying i'm not going to hurt you and everything he does from that point on is hurting you know so i mean it's he's obviously just been biding his time plus i think you know when he says uh suck my dick i think He's probably pretty drunk at that point, too, so he's not mm. making the best judgments anyway. I could be wrong. That's true. It doesn't that's really, a good point. It doesn't really matter, but it would explain the behavior a little, maybe.
2: Yeah, that's that's a good point. A
0: challenge for me, and, and it'll be more true as we go on. Is, I mean, as you said, he he's not mustache twirling, but I feel like by the time we get to the end, we do get some of that. And, okay. Yes. Sorry. Go ahead. Well— Here's my thing. And and here's one of the reasons I think it's, it's important to have a variety of viewpoints on this. I've never known anyone like that. I've never experienced that, you know, and you have these, as a guy, you have these weird things where you'll read something online and somebody says, Oh, every time I walk through this neighborhood, I get catcalled. And I'm like, I live in this neighborhood. I've spent thousands of hours walking around this neighborhood. I've never heard a single woman get catcalled. I don't and then I had to say, okay, is that just because I'm somehow not processing that? Or is somebody, I, you know, th- then that's where you're like, okay, wh- why do we have these different experiences?
2: Yeah. Well, um, yeah, this was big during like the height of the Me Too movement was like a lot of guys were super surprised by the commonness mm-hmm. of just bad sexual behavior. Um, I think it's like twofold things. So there's there's two causes why you may not be as exposed to it as your female compatriots. One, you know, you're not a woman to a heterosexual guy, so the comments won't be directed at you. That's the obvious one. But two, I think it's like women develop spidey senses over years of getting that, where there's like some more Mm -hmm. very finely attuned to like, you know, like if I'm running in a sports bra past a construction site, not so much anymore, but like when I was growing up in the bay area i could just feel like a certain attention and awareness and i would know right before they started catcalling me because it was just like you're a certain part of your social primate brain is like evaluating is this a threat or not what's interesting is i actually feel like catcalling in general has gone down a lot that could be just because i'm getting old and ugly but like <laughs> i I, don't
3: know.
2: I used to like i've talked to my female friends about it and i i think like There really has been a lot of progress on this, or maybe guys finally realize it doesn't work. (laughs) Like like maybe that finally seeped in. But I mean, yeah, the, the truth is like, as the saying goes, like, you know, all is fair in love and war. Like that's a saying for a reason. People act differently when they are in a relationship and when they're attracted to somebody than they do in polite society or with their friends. And, you know, I've seen that like a fair amount. It kind of sucks. Like, you know, there was this, I won't name names, but there's this guy I was like super a big fan of. He's like a TV show host and is like somebody sort of in my world that I really, really liked. Whoever was like, oh, this guy's the nicest guy. He's so sweet. And then like, it became clear that he was had a crush on me and then just started acting very weird around me and like kind of like nagging and all this bullshit. And it. Sucked because I was a fan like everybody else around him, but I was the only one receiving the blunt Mm. end of his bad flirtations and his like sexual insecurities. And I think that's not uncommon. So like this Mm. Harlan character, I know it seems totally bizarre, but they do exist. Now I've been talking a lot, but I have to get to my main theory behind <laughs> Thelma and Louise. Cause I'm too excited.
3: <laughs>
2: I believe, cause I cracked the code guys. I cracked it. <clears you. throat> okay. I believe Thelma and Louise, like there's a lot of really great male roles. Like obviously the two female roles are incredible, but mm. the secondary characters represent the different pillars of different types of sexism and some are just like buffoonish like daryl uh thelma's husband who's just mm. like he's probably the most cartoonish yeah. character then <laughs> yeah. harlan who's like the second most cartoonish character oh no no sorry the most cartoonish character is the truck driver who is yeah, ridiculous oh, yeah. I'm, yeah, he's the one I'm like yeah. really okay yeah i mean yeah, I know that guy, is, okay, really? yeah that guy is one in a million i've I really, yeah, that one's the furthest on the spectrum of just like a <laughs> you know, hyperbolic, horrible person. But then there's people who are like, like Brad Pitt, who's kind of like <laughs> an asshole, but clearly not for sexist reasons. Like he would have yeah, stolen from anybody.
1: A, yeah, he's probably well, just a sociopath.
0: I also have to say with Brad Pitt, you know yeah he stole their money but she did get something out of that
2: (laughs) she got a a really nice night (laughs) she got off and that's big like she clearly had never orgasmed before and she also Mm. figured out how to rob banks or how to rob (laughs) that's stores. (laughs) yeah Yeah.
1: so So, you know know, yeah he kind
2: of
0: paid his way i thought
1: (laughs) and (laughs) then It made me wonder too when he was when he was telling her all about his technique was he actually even really a robber or was he just pulling that out of his ass you know, yeah. I I think he probably was on parole for jaywalking or something like that and uh, <laughs> you know he just he just made that up to be impressive hmm. That's yeah. my guess. I took I him seriously
0: wrong. but I you know it's inter- <laughs> but but it's certainly an interesting line I mean you know hey, I rob places. Let's go to bed. I mean, I, you know, how often does that work? How often it work? Found his. I audience. guess you know, making you know, yeah, making himself a bad guy. You know, that kind of kind of worked.
2: I realize I kind of well, skipped uh, ahead, but <laughs> no, that's okay. Well, that's all right. But I, th- I it's think uh,
0: you know, the thread here that's really interesting and that appeals to me is you have these two people who start out kind of very naive and just trying to have a nice weekend and within two three days whatever the period is that this movie takes oh i think it's um, that
2: night because it's they're just leaving for a weekend so right. i think it's friday but, night <laughs> well they have
3: yeah, but well, the they whole thing the takes place, place over hotel. a few days
1: yeah they have a oh, couple yeah. hotel room yeah. stays and everything oh, uh, yeah. so I mean, they, they you're talking about the course of the movie yeah yeah, yeah they oh.
0: become yeah they go from being you know kind of like uh, naive people who don't know much about the world. And three days later, they're these hard-bitten people making choices about their life. And, the, and I and I like the process of that. And, you know, I like the idea of them kind of fighting against the system. <laughs> it's kind of funny. You have this Harvey Keitel as the detective who sort of understands them implicitly, even though he doesn't really know anything about them. And he spent like 30 seconds talking on the phone to one of them, but he knows exactly what's going on with them. I always find that kind of character interesting, right? Usually, as we've talked about, like uh, with others, it's usually the scientist or something who knows exactly what's going on.
1: (laughs) Well, he's talked to the people who know them, though, you know, like uh, Thelma's husband and all that. So he he might have been able to put a few things together uh, out of that. Yeah, he even realizes,
0: you know, when when Thelma robs the store, he realizes that was just a result of Brad Pitt stealing their money.
3: Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So I thought that was I interesting. Wait, yeah, right?
2: Harvey, oh, yeah. where Harvey Keitel is like probably my favorite character in the whole thing. So go to go back to my overarching theory about like oh, the, yeah. each guy represents a different type of sexism. Mm-hmm. Harvey Keitel. And what I say that kind of broadly, because Harvey Keitel gives no indication of himself personally being sexist. He is, Mm -hmm. however, the enforcer of a system which is going to, it is implied, treat them unfairly because the burden of proof is going to be very, very high on them to prove that it was any kind of self-defense or battered woman syndrome. And so he is like the face of an unfair system, even though he himself is actually super working to defend them clearly on like every possible chance he's working to give them an opportunity out of it. And that's why this is a good film is because there's complicated, nuanced characters who, you know, like within their like screen time, each scene they're in shows like an active choice they're making that represents their character. And this is the difference between this and like a movie like Promising Young Woman. So hmm. you were asking, like, what are some, you know, feminist movies? There's like a lot of feminist movies, but I think that a lot of them make the same mistake, which is, you know, they, the villains are kind of cartoonish and that isn't how real systems work. And I think, and it, mm-hmm. the same is true of any film focused around identity and some social cause where like you've got to make the villains complex you've got to make the you know protagonist complex because otherwise it's just not interesting i do think like the cartoonish ones are meant to be com- comedic but they fall short mm-hmm. of that like Daryl, yeah. thelma's husband who actually by the way is gina davis's actual ex in real life that she mm-hmm. pitched for, to play the role of her ex-husband i think he was meant to be like a Comedic relief. I didn't find hmm. him that funny, though. Oh, no, I don't know if you. I will did. say,
0: you know, it is interesting. Yes, uh, it's a good point that every guy in this is playing a guy, some version of a man, right? And it's interesting then that Louise's husband is completely different. He's supportive. He gets the money <laughs> oh, for yeah. her. He shows up, then he goes away when she needs him to. Like I think he does everything she needs. Yeah.
2: I think he's the best in the film because also, like, there's that one telling scene where he gets incredibly mad and he smashes something in the hotel room. But then he apologizes. And, like, I think that that is very important because it's not saying, like, you to be a perfect guy, like, you have to not get mad and you have to, like, completely defer to your woman. It's like you can get mad, of course, and you can even frankly give violent. So long as one, it's not at her, and two, like you apologize and like you be a human about it. God, I love that actor. What's that guy's name? He's in like a bunch of Tarantino films. And he's just got the hmm. best eyes.
1: Michael, is it Michael? Michael Madsen? Maybe I, I read an yeah, article earlier. Yeah, yeah, it's Michael Madsen.
0: No, we do have these different men and and, and different levels. It. I I really do wish the last guy the guy who was the truck driver and then they blow up his truck and he I mean he's he is literally like a Warner Brothers cartoon and <laughs> yeah he's like
2: um yeah. Who's that guy with, like, the guns who, like, shoots in the air? Um, yeah, Yosemite, yeah.
0: Sam. <laughs> Yosemite Sam. Yosemite <laughs> Sam. Yeah, that's basically him. You know, and he's doing the gross things to them as as they keep seeing him while they're driving along and everything. And it's not, again, it's not that it's unbelievable that there are people, especially maybe truck drivers like that. It's just the, like, okay. But, you know, it is fun. Uh they, they blow up his truck and he gets screwed over in the end but to me and i have to say surprisingly especially since i was kind of annoyed by that whole thing as they get to the end and they have become really hard bitten and they have kind of chosen their life of crime by the end you know they sort of fall into it as they go along right but in the last 20 minutes of the movie they have decided this is who we are we're sort of bonnie and clyde which is another movie we're going to cover Mm -hmm. in this series and you know we fight the law and we shoot people and we shoot trucks and what i was really affecting to me was you know in the end they they really do choose what their life is going to be and that they're not going to bow to anyone and you know, uh, that affected me a lot. I thought, this is really interesting. Now, I don't, you know, mm-hmm. I'm not the kind of person to drive off a cliff, I, I don't think. But, <laughs> you know, uh, but if you're facing that versus life in jail or something, who knows, you know?
2: I think that if, like, mm-hmm. that and finding with the police had happened any earlier than it did in the film's progression of their characters or the characters' progression, they would not have driven off the cliff. Because Mm. I think the last incident along the sort of like the last rung on the ladder for them was the scene with the cop, the highway patrol cop who pulls them over. Mm. And he Mm. is an interesting antithesis Mm. to the Harvey Keitel cop because they're both like enforcers of the law. But this one has absolutely zero sympathy whatsoever and is not has. No energy for politeness or whatever, and he he would not make any exceptions for anybody. You know he's going to be a real dick about everything. Even Mm. though, to be fair to him, they are out on warrant for killing a person, robbery and murder person. (laughs) Yeah, but tomato, tomato. Um. Anyway, but like before he runs their license plate and finds that out, like he's just a cop who's like a real dick, and you know he's one of those people who's kind of megalomaniacal and, you know, they could become a cop because they want to boss people around. So like, and as opposed to the Harvey Keitel, and I hope I'm not projecting too much, but he's clearly a cop because like he wants to help people and keep people safe. You know, like the, that whole theory of morality, which is like, you know, you should, your morality should be above the like rules and regulations of your job, but it should ideally mostly overlap. So Mm -hmm. anyway, I think that, That was the exciting incident because the worst thing they do in this film, in my opinion, is actually put the cop in the trunk of the Mm -hmm. car on a hot day. Which in reality would
0: have killed him. I mean, even with the things that they had in the trunk.
2: We don't know when the (laughs) biker came by, or like, you know, how, which is also great. And also, he didn't, I don't know if he actually saves him he just blows weed into the car which (laughs) is a nightmare can you imagine being being high and trapped in the trunk (laughs) jesus but yeah i mean that is like you know kind of made that's like a 50 50 shot i would say of signing somebody's death warrant and so that's pretty i mean it's like a funny joke scene because they they do it while being nice to him because they're like hey do you think we could like exchange sunglasses and then they take his <laughs> sunglasses and like, he's crying and they're just like, all right, so, uh, please, uh, get in the car. Like they're being weirdly nice, but it is also like they are kind of maybe killing him, um, indirectly. Yeah. So it's a very now, morally confusing scene.
1: I, I can't remember when exactly like what time of day that was supposed to take place, but if it was supposed to be in the morning, then he might have had a little while at least, because I guess in the desert it can get pretty cold in the mornings <laughs> and at night. So I don't know. He might have had a few hours, or depending on the time of day. But if it was midday, yeah, he'd be in trouble.
2: It is like an empty cop car on the side of a road. So like, it is possible. It's like I. But the thing is, like this, this more to me feels like the screenwriter, kind of like trying to be funny at the risk of maybe like being super attentive to like how the ethical implications of the character because sometimes you know like we don't think about john wick like being immoral because he's murdered literally tens of thousands of characters (laughs) in films like (laughs) it's insane like there's different moral standards to killing in films this is one where you're clearly supposed to be sympathetic with these outlaws and it is, like, I think a reflection of, like, how do we feel about characters who kill? And this is something I've thought a lot about when I've written screenplays is, like, you know, the the standards are weird because sometimes it's more dramatic when a woman kills somebody. Sometimes it's, like, less dramatic. It's usually always worse when somebody kills a woman versus a man. So mm-hmm. it's. I don't know. It's it's kind of like a ethically dubious, that last thing they did.
1: Hmm. Oh, sure. Yeah, especially if it was in the middle of the day. But, yeah. I mean, yeah, then, then he wouldn't have had long at all. <laughs> I think
2: it was because, like, it seems like it's getting near sunset or, like, dusk when they actually drive off the cliff. Hmm but who knows how far away that, I like how we're trying to plan this out like this is a true crime podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Well,
0: so one of the things I see as we watch these films is there's always the question for me of they all, this kind of film, the the rage films, they simplify certain things in order to highlight Mm -hmm. the things that they want to point out. And the question is, does the art of the film overcome that? Can you say, yeah, okay, there's some silly characters in here, etc., but is the film better than that? And it sounds to me, oh, yeah. and I mean, of course we have our ultimate question, is it worth watching? But Sarah, it sounds to me like mm-hmm. you're saying it does it does overcome that for you.
2: Oh yeah, totally. I mean, it's it overcomes it because of one thing. The two protagonists are just so entertaining to watch. Like, they've got a great rapport. They're played by phenomenal actresses. And, you know, it's not like the, um, like the supporting actors are, any, are like any shrugs. So the thing that really makes the movie overcome any of its, like, minor faults is just Gina Davis and Susan Sarandon playing these two amazing characters. They have a great rapport between each other and it's just excellent performances and they're so well-written because they have flaws. You know, like uh, Louise, the Susan Sarandon character, is a, like way too uptight to start with. Is kind of neurotic. And, you know, Thelma's real loosey-goosey and kind of dumb, yeah. but just so much fun. And then the dynamic between the two of them, like I want, I want a friend like Susan Sarandon I mean, I'm a little bit more of a, a Thelma, I'm going to be honest. <laughs> so I would love to have a Susan Sarandon in my life just pick me up in her Thunderbird and like ride off into the sunset, preferably on the road. <laughs> I, I just, I loved that so much. I would watch like more episodes of that series.
0: <laughs> um, well, and there's so many threads in this film. And I think one of the threads that's interesting is, when they start, I mean, I think they're friends, you know, they kind of know each other, but I don't think they really know each other. And by the end of the film, they really know each other. Right. And well, and also yeah. they kind of converge to being kind of the same person by the end of the film.
2: Mm-hmm. I think that they're not the same person necessarily because, um, well, number one, to your first point about like, they weren't. Good friends, yeah. You, I can pick up on that a little bit. I don't know quite why, but I think partly, you know, Louise is a little bit icy towards Thelma, a little bit judgmental and critical. And, like, also I think Daryl's, you know, imposed, like, imprisonment probably is one of those things where Thelma doesn't get out as much as she could. And also, mm-hmm. um, Louise is very busy at her job. So there's a couple things keeping them apart. But I don't mm-hmm. think that they become... Similar at the end. Well, I guess they kind of do. They become kind of calmer, especially towards the very end. They become sort of like they've seen a lot of shit. They're much more confident, and especially Thelma. Thelma is a lot more confident, but Louise has mm-hmm. become more self assured. In some ways, at so the same time, she has characters.
0: loosened up. I mean, she starts drinking while she's driving, yeah.
2: you know, which is which, which I is love a how that's, thing I love how like that's a sign of positive development that she's drinking. <laughs> Yeah, yeah Selma tried
1: a cigarette towards the end too. Oh yeah,
0: <laughs> right. That's what you would if it was, was made today. You would not have all the smoking. You know, Louise is smoking constantly in the meeting, especially in the kitchen.
2: You know, they're making food. It's funny. Oh my God, what it makes no sense. But yeah, I mean, it is it is interesting. They have their vices and how those they sort of swap at the end. And I love how they just like gradually look more and more like lesbians. <laughs> yeah. It's like that's like I can say that. I can say that as a person who dates women. But like they have those like high waisted jeans and like the, <laughs> the like handkerchief and like their hair is tied back and they look kind of like they've been working at a farm all day and they're kind of dusty. And it's two women traveling alone. Like they really, I feel like a lot of lesbian couples model themselves after Thelma and Louise. <laughs> mm. And they do a kiss if at there, the end. Yeah. If there <laughs> isn't, if there isn't a Thelma and Louise lesbian porn, I will be very upset. <laughs> very. There's no justice. But yeah, I love the fashion towards her. the end. Yeah. Mm? I just love the fashion towards the end, like the the <laughs> slow de-evolution like i just think gina davis gets like more and more beautiful the more and more sort of like dusty she gets and (laughs) you know same thing with susan sarandon as she kind of like lets go like she had that like ridiculous like babushka hat on to begin with to like keep her (laughs) curls in and Mm. like then by the end they're just like letting it all hang out and it's like such a better look and apparently this they were um it's one of the only films where the actresses are actually playing roles that are younger than they are Mm. that the actresses are older Mm. so interesting stuff well i remember when i used to
0: watch survivor you you know get to know these women well over a period of a couple months or something watching the show then they do the final show where they'd come into the studio and so you'd been seeing them not made up on an island you know in the worst possible circumstances and they would look great yeah. Then they would come into the studio and they ha- they're caked in makeup and you're like, oh, that, yeah, that doesn't look good. <laughs> and I don't, you know, uh, yeah, I'm I'm much. So at the end of this movie, they're in that state, right? Their faces are dirty and haggard, and they've been through all this stuff. And their hair is, you know, pulled back and and dirty and and everything. And I prefer that look <laughs> to, to the more made up look. Yeah. <laughs>
2: Yeah, I think, like, uh, to that point, like, uh, different women's faces are different. Like, I've seen some women who just legitimately, like, their their features get washed out without makeup. I think that I once put on fake eyelashes, and I had to take them immediately off, because everyone was like, you look like Snuffleupagus. Why is your <laughs> face like that? I can't, I don't look good with a lot of makeup on. Like, I'll wear some mascara. But I think that it's it varies face by face. It's also possible, like the women on Survivor, were sort of selected for that kind of natural mm, beauty right. that really does not need to be outlined more. But yeah, for the most part, I totally agree with you. Especially nowadays, like there's this whole makeup trend that's like you look like an Instagram filter, which <laughs> is kind of an achievement of artistry on on one hand, but on the other hand, it's just like you're like looking at a painting when you talk mm-hmm. to somebody wearing it right okay sorry right. for
0: the tangent <laughs> <laughs> so guy where are you on the worth watching meter
1: worth watching uh i'd say it, it is uh worth watching i i enjoyed it uh, and it's a it's a beautifully filmed movie i mean yeah. you know, lots of country scenery and lots of uh you know rural gas stations and motels and americana in general uh i I like it oh and the car is beautiful too the the that turquoise paint job on it just a lot of neat stuff to watch but as far as the story goes it was uh it was good it was engrossing i I mean i already knew how it ended of course but uh, there was a lot of stuff along the way that i had forgotten from when i saw it three decades ago or whenever and uh Really, for the most part, the the story kept me absorbed. There was one scene where it it kind of, uh, it was a bit of a groaner for me. Thelma and Louise are in the hotel room, and Louise has just gotten the big bag of 6,700 bucks or whatever it is. And, and she says something uh, to Thelma like, okay, this is our future. Keep an eye on it. Guard it carefully, you know. And I was just like, Oh, I see how the next ten minutes are gonna unspool yeah. her.
0: <laughs> And and also why, you know character wise, why would she give it to the irresponsible person of the couple, I right? Know. <laughs> that that
2: but, yeah, yeah, I totally agree with that take. Like that really bothered me. It also like I w this maybe <laughs> Is a really poor reflection of who I am, but I found that scene when she loses the money way more disturbing than when Harlan dies.
0: <laughs> you know, like, not but the also, money.
1: <laughs> it was also it wasn't a, that broken up about Harlan either.
0: <laughs> it was, a, but it was also an interesting reflection on Louise, who in this is kind of the adult and the responsible person, and yet is as a waitress and everything is coming from a point of view where she actually thinks $6,500 once it gets to Mexico is going to set their life like it was like a million dollars or something right it's like Mm. I don't
2: know what the 80s were like (laughs) and so I assumed that $6,500 was like a billion dollars for them then because that was the reason why I was like "I (laughs) I may not be the best person to review this film because I was watching it and I was like what I would not do this today. I would not run away from the cops if I were raped and killed or like almost raped and killed a guy because I have like a lot of faith that I feel like I could get a pretty good deal with like battered woman, whatever. But I also am not, you know, black. And I think, you know, I've had pretty good interactions with cops. But I was like, how far back in time would I have to go for me to try to escape the law? You know, like at what point in history would I be like, okay, now is time for me to leave because like weirdly enough i don't think it's a straight line like i think in the 1890s i could have gotten off because it it would be like oh you know he's trying to take my honor you know and like there'd be a huge uproar um but then maybe (laughs) in like the 60s it would have been like ah your eyes said you wanted it and like you've been to college (laughs) so you're a slut so like you couldn't have been raped you know like i feel like that line of like how sexist is the I mean. Cause it's different types of sexism, you know, like in the 1890s, Mm. it's a very sort of puritanical thing that may, maybe swings in your favor. So I, I found that, that part really curious. Like, do you guys think that she would have, she could have had a fair shake in the legal system?
0: Where they were, I don't know. I mean, one of the things that is, as someone who generally believes things, you know, go well and get better and I'm, and I try not to be the you know, to think everything's going to hell. But as recently as the 80s, I distinctly recall, like, male politicians from Texas and stuff saying, you know, if you get raped, just lay back and enjoy it.
2: Uh,
3: and
2: really? And we're talking the Fuck.
0: 80s, not that long ago. Now, Jesus nobody Christ. would say that today. Well, there was, you know, I think somebody a few years ago, but almost nobody Le- would say that today. There was like that but legitimate, legitimate rape
2: recently. thing that happened and yeah. then, like, they have a way of shutting that down was another great quote about rape, but those were like 10 years ago, five years ago, mm-hmm. something like, do you know what I'm talking about? Those two quotes. Mm-mm. Oh, wow. Okay. No. So there, these, you should look. These oh, up the legi- you yeah. Want. There was a
0: legitimate rape guy. Yeah. I remember. Okay. Yeah. A guy who said
2: there. like, you know, if it's a legitimate rape, because I yeah. think he was saying like date rape was not rape. And then there was that, another guy. This one was better. He was like, if a woman gets raped, her body has a way of shutting that down. And yeah. he was talking Ooh. about how, like, she couldn't get pregnant because right. we have. Which is bizarre because um, that actually no, she goes just... back
0: to, like, medieval times and stuff because I, I was reading recently. If you got pregnant from being raped, they said, well, you must have enjoyed it. You you could not have gotten pregnant yeah. if you didn't enjoy the process. Therefore, you were not raped. Yes. And it's really unfortunate that that there's still people, you know, even in the last few years who would believe
2: that. Yeah. The flip side of that, though, because like I'm just reading this book about this and there was a a theory. I forget when it might have been like the medieval ages that women had to enjoy sex in order to get pregnant. But at the time, that might be a good thing, because if you're trying to have kids, then you have to try (laughs) to get her off. So, you know, (laughs) things cut. Different ways. Um, yeah.
1: <laughs> I haven't seen any studies on uh, if there is some kind of toggle switch there. So I, I'll have to research that, I guess. I think
2: that could be possible. I don't know. Um, but, but yeah. So wait, uh, original question. Um, do you guys think, like, if you were uh, Louise, would you have run away mm-hmm. or would you have tried to go to the cops? Tried to have gone to the cops?
1: Oh boy. Yeah, that's a that's a that's a tricky one because I mean, because
2: you're I'd, also I'd, not totally thinking in your right mind, of course. You're panicking, yeah, but assuming you're not in your you were right thinking mind. in your right mind.
1: I don't know. I mean, uh, you know, if if you at least nowadays, if you can get a lawyer, sometimes there are a lot of things they can do for you. Uh, yeah, but like, what about then?
2: What about in the eighties? Yeah, this I takes don't place know. in the early eighties, right? Was ninety?
1: Was it ninety-one? I think. It, it, what? Like this is
2: from the nineties.
1: What? I think it was ninety-one. I'm not sure. I could be wrong. Oh my
2: god. Okay, that changes everything. I was like, you know, that's my decade. When it's the decade before your decade, you're like, ah, uh, what currency were we using then? And like, what you know, <laughs> the, what the what like you know, they were using different words like me thinks in the 80s, like, you know. <laughs> but Privy, the nine, I was, <laughs> yeah, you yeah, know. I once, like, I once <laughs> talked
0: to a kid and he was like, oh, you've been here 20 years. It must have been so much colder back then because of global warming. I'm like, no, no, not, not really.
2: <laughs> um, but, but, oh man, that I, is depressing. I thought that this was like, Because the the 80s feel like, you know, I don't know, there weren't, like, sex in the city wasn't a thing. There weren't as many, like, women in the workforce. The idea that they didn't think they could get a fair shake in the 90s is really fucked. Well, well, 91 was
1: still the 80s in a lot of ways.
2: Right. But, you know, I don't know what I would do. But what I would
0: say is, I think in terms of Louise's character, the complication is she knows and she says that they murdered him because— they were not in danger at that point. Right. right? They had a gun on him. He couldn't do anything. And she chose because she was pissed off at what he said to shoot him. And so I think her feeling, you know, whatever the technicalities would be of whatever he could, could try to claim in court. She knew that she
1: had murdered him
0: and that's why they ran.
1: Although there are different degrees of, crimes too like if like, yeah there's it know, wasn't the premeditated and all that stuff right so I don't yeah know.
2: it wasn't pre- she would have gotten um what's that uh phrase heat of the moment passion of the something mm. it's like it wasn't right. premeditated it might have been like second degree or maybe even manslaughter but what i would have done to be totally frank is i would have lied i would have told louise like we have to pretend that like he was raping you because like also, he slapped her. She her face was bloody. Like they, you know, they could use that. Like I, I, mm-hmm. that's what I probably would have done. But yeah, it just it, yeah, it sucks. An interesting difference,
0: bet- from that time to now, and you know, having spent way too much time on like true crime YouTube and all this, is these days there are going to be five cameras around, and yeah. they're going to be able to see exactly what happened. You know, so so it's different from then when it wasn't quite that that way
2: yeah Uh, i mean the the thing uh, is like ultimately it is like i think the central that is the climax of the whole movie in a certain way because it's not like she shouldn't have shot him like it is ultimately in that specific isolated case like she murdered a person this was a human Hmm. being who like hurt a woman really badly and he did not deserve to die for that reason that's like the honest truth but what makes the movie compelling is the larger context makes it much more confusing morally because they've had a lot of shit put on them and it's more like he's paying the price of a whole system of people but the thing is this fucking happens like, that's not uh, just a movie. Like, when uh. the no-fault divorce was introduced, homicides of women against men went down several-fold, like, five-fold. Mm. This is in mm. uh, Stephen Pinker's great book, The Better Angels of Our Nature. Like, women do... Battered woman syndrome is, like, in its technical definition, like, what usually happens is that a woman is beaten a lot for, like every day for a really long time and then eventually snaps and just can't take it and murders him. It's not one incident where like it's self-defense. It's more like if you take that much abuse day in, day out, you get like Mm -hmm. complex PTSD as opposed to like singular PTSD, which is like one incident. So like that's why this movie is compelling is because, you know, when you're mad at an ism, at like sexism or racism or whatever, one of the things that sucks is there's no like one person behind it all. It's like, there's a figurehead, like each moment, you know, you're either ignoring it or taking out all your rage, on one person. And that's what makes mm-hmm. it like so incredibly frustrating. And what, why this movie was so capelli.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Right, well, and um, I'll say for myself on the worth watching, I feel like I was up in the air until that last 20 minutes or so, where, as I said, I really appreciated the point they got to and could relate to that and them taking control of their lives, even if that <laughs> turned out in a very bad way. And I, and I had a really strong response to that, which is unrelated to, you know, the gender questions and, and all that. It's, that's more a me thing about, about, you know, <laughs> fighting society and government and <laughs> all the rest of that. But so that we can um, end on a, you know, some not totally dour point. What, uh, Sarah, what's the the most positive thing you feel about this movie?
2: (laughs) But I have so many more negative things to say. (laughs) Uh, Like positive (laughs) about the movie, but negative things about uh, society and the state of things. Like just one quick thing, Ron, I promise, is like one thing that I feel like this movie made me think about. Is that women who feel like they, like women still feel like they can't get a fair shake out of the legal system, partly because the burden of proof for criminal cases is like for these cases is beyond a reason, is a, um, beyond a reasonable doubt. And instead, what people do instead of going the criminal route, the legal route is they go to the port- court of public opinion. And, like, that is what the B2 movement has done, is sort of circumvented the legal system. And Mm -hmm. I think that's very interesting. I think that it has, like, um, it's a very heavy instrument that you don't have total control over. Like, once you've, you know, I mean, you don't have control over the legal system either. But it's like, you know, it, it can become, it's a very, it's sort of like, either a nuclear option or nothing like it you know like mm. somebody can be canceled and all of their friends leave them and that they, they never get redeemed or that story doesn't get picked up and nobody gives a fuck or you ruin your career by like accusing somebody of something i don't know it's an interesting alternative like what if philman louise had just tried to cancel Harlan? <laughs> 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 you know like he'd still be alive but <laughs> He would like probably be on a podcast with some other guys complaining about women or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would be the modern day. For <laughs> <sure>. <laughs> I'm going to make a new Thelma and Louise 2.0 with a Me Too Harlan. Anyway, you can wrap it up now. Uh,
1: That's it. Yeah,
2: I guess that's as positive as we're going to
1: get.
0: So we suggest uh, watching the movie, seeing all the different ways men can act and you know, some of the ways that women will react to that. Um, thank you very much, Sarah. Yeah. Thank you for thank having you. me
2: on. I've decided I will spare you both. So thank you.
0: <laughs> Terrific. And if people want yeah. to find you on the Internet, where should they go?
2: Uh, Twitter, I guess, is the best place. Sarah Rose Siskin.
0: Okay. Um, thank you. And we will continue on with more rage next week. And I got to say, Stephen Tobolowski, So he's just one of those people with a weird career, and he's been in just some amazing movies. But he's always, you know, the side character. So you might, if um, if you don't recognize, so I mean, is, you would recognize him. Is Stephen,
1: he but... is he the kind of balding guy uh, who, who's kind of sort of low key and uh, subdued? Um, yeah,
0: although he says some weird things, as we'll see. But you would recognize hmm. him from Groundhog's Day. He was the guy who would come up every day to Bill Murray and, and hug him and, you know, talk, you know, talk about their whole relationship and everything and, and until one day he, like, steps in a puddle or something, if you remember him.
1: You know, I, um, I haven't seen that for a few decades now. Oh, God.
0: We got to put that on the list. He is in oh, yeah. one of my favorite films. He played a key role in Memento. Hmm. He do, So do you remember Memento?
1: I, I saw it, but again, it was a long oh, time God. ago. Oh, God,
0: there's another one. Got it. <laughs> <laughs> we cover it. Anyway, to, and he also did this podcast where he told weird stories about his life. Like one time he was in a supermarket and this sort of serial killer guy was holding a gun on him and taking him through the supermarket and just like, you know, he has all these bizarre stories. So Steven Topolowski, huh. very interesting guy, always kind of the side actor, but he's been in a gazillion movies.
1: So I'm gonna I'm going to, I got to look him up because I know I've seen him somewhere <laughs> and it's, it was bugging me when I watched <laughs> the movie. Yeah, it was a little bit of a digression, but there's something in particular I know him from and I can't think of what it is. Oh, he's a, he's a voice in Archer. <laughs> but the face. Well, I didn't I even know. know that one. Uh, yeah, uh, I'm I'm scrolling through the IMDb entry here. He was on Silicon Valley, and I I saw like the first season of that. I don't know if that's it though. Uh, <laughs> I'll get to it. Um, oh, uh he's in. Uh, he was in one of the Atlas Shrugged movies, but again, that's not where...
0: <laughs> the five people saw that.
1: <laughs> it's not what... Uh, oh, he was a voice in Arkham Origins. Oh, he was <laughs> in Justified. I, I was <laughs> justified, but that's been a while. What the heck? I, I, I mean, there's something that I've seen him in that, like, I just... Hmm... I, I'm working my way well, back Well, I to guarantee you, now uh, that you're
0: aware of him, you're going to see him in more things because he's oh, one of I, those guys. I bet he
1: was, yeah, Deadwood. He was Hugo he, Jerry. That's what it okay. was. Okay. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah, That's... you're a huge Deadwood fan. That's one I haven't seen, so we'll try it out sometime. Yeah, um,
1: it all fits now.
2: we look it up later. We'll look it up later. <laughs> One of the nice things about a podcast
0: is we just edit out all the in-between and then you magically know the name of the person.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Hey, guys, would you like me to recite Pi from memory? (laughs) 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 Perfectly from memory?
1: (laughs) Just the first thousand digits.
2: Yeah, just the first thousand.